was singing, I hope when I get his age I can hit that note. And then I realized I can't hit that note now. <laughs> anyway, Ephesians chapter 2, I want to begin in verse 11. Uh, we've been doing the Advent wreath and candle for a number of years. Um, and I didn't grow up in a church that did that at that time. Uh, now my church does do that, but growing up I, I don't remember that. And so I often would make the mistake, I would, being a pastor, I've done lots of weddings with the unity candle. I said, we're going to observe the lighting of the unity candle, and then I would have to be corrected. But you know, I was thinking this morning as the candle was being lit, it is the Advent candle, but it also is a unity candle. And we're going to see that in light of our wor word that we're going to study today from God's word. Uh, we're going to see that Jesus Christ came to the world to unify people of all nations uh, under his lordship. I've had the blessing as well as a number of y'all. I know Mike, Paul, uh, John, I, I don't want to leave anybody out, uh, but I probably will. But I've had the blessing of traveling on foreign mission trips. If you've never had that experience, hopefully you'll have that blessing one day. It's just a, a beautiful picture of the kingdom of God when you see God working in various places. One of my most memorable trips was to the Comoros Islands in the early 2000s, and I can remember vividly a worship service with nationals. It was a three-hour worship service. I'm not talking about Sunday school and worship, just the worship service. Don't worry, it won't be that long today. But it was as if it went by in a few moments because the world became much smaller. And as part of that service, we observed communion, the Lord's Supper, and it, to this day, along with one other that I experienced during an Emmaus walk, is the most memorable uh, Lord's Supper that I observed because I saw a picture of God's heart for the nations. And so this morning, we're moving to the second half of the second chapter of Ephesians. And to this point in Ephesians, we've been studying about the personal blessings of God's grace to those who have trusted Christ. We've looked at the fact that uh, we have gone from being enemies against Christ to becoming part of the family, adopted into the family. The wonderful inheritance that we have in Christ Jesus, the forgiveness of sins that we have received. Last week we looked at the familiar Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, how all the blessings are not a result of our works, but as a result of the grace of God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Yet today, as we look at the second half of this chapter, there's a subtle turn from the individual blessings of being a believer to the corporate blessing of it. People, groups who were formally separated from God, not considered to be a part of the people of God, Paul writes to the Ephesians, now are included in Christ Jesus. With that in mind, look with me at Ephesians chapter 2. I want to begin in verse 11. So then, remember that at one time, he's writing to the Ephesians, you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcised by those called the circumcised, which is done in the flesh by human hands. At that time, you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. 
But now, in Christ Jesus, you who are far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. In his flesh he made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations so that he might create in himself one new man from the two resulting in peace. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by which he put the hostility to death. He came and pro proclaimed good news of peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together for God's dwelling in the spirit. Let's pray. Lord, as we look to your word today, we thank you for Jesus Christ, the great unifier. We thank you, Lord, uh, for the truth that in him, Lord, those who were formerly separated by the things that divide are brought to be one. And Lord, it's our desire today for those of us who have trusted you that we would be a holy habitation, that Lord, as people look at our lives, they would see a difference and that they too would be drawn to you. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as we look again today, the context is Paul is speaking to the Ephesians. These were Gentile believers. Notice he says, you who were far away and they who were near, speaking of the Gentiles as compared to the Jews. And it's very interesting as we look at this, as, as I said earlier, Paul moves from the individual blessings to this corporate aspect of the Christian life. And what he's trying to express to them and to us today is that there's one body. There's not a, a Jewish church and a Gentile church. There is a one body. And, and that that division has been broken through Jesus Christ. And we'll see today, through Christ Jesus, his death on the cross, the division of our sin that has separated us from the holiness of God has been broken down so that we might have fellowship with the Father. But we're going to see another product of that is that those who, of us who were far away before we trusted Christ are brought in to one family. And so Paul says, now for you, everything has changed. You who were formerly considered outsiders are now part of the family of God. You who were not a people are now a people. I was reading just yesterday about Woody Hayes, who was the famous coach at Ohio State University years ago. You may remember an infamous act that he carried out. He was uh, older at the time and, and a revered coach, but his team was losing a game and one of the opposing players came near the sideline you may remember it and instead of helping the guy up he just hit the guy and knocked him out well he didn't knock him out literally but he knocked him back and, and you know how that went even though the news circuit in the early 80s wasn't like it is today very quickly word got out uh, Woody Hayes was ostracized uh, no one would have anything to do with him, and he was fired from his job that he had worked for probably 30 or 40 years. Move forward just about six weeks to two months later. 
there was another coach. His name was Tom Landry, and Tom Landry was a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and he was going to be attending a nationally acclaimed banquet, and he invited Woody Hayes to go with him. He had two tickets, and, and, and he invited him. Now, why did he do that? because he wanted to extend grace. We've been talking about the grace of God. Here was a man who was on the outside looking in, and Tom Landry brought and sat him right beside him to say, we're not going to ostracize you. I'm not going to do that. And so as, as Paul is writing the church at Ephesus here, he said, formerly, people looked at you as being unclean, as being uncircumcised, as being not worthy of the grace of God. But praise be to God, through Jesus Christ, he has brought you into the family of God. And so today, I want to just divide our look this morning in really three parts. The first thing in the first two verses we're going to see that Paul speaks about their former state, these Ephesian believers. Then we're going to look at the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the unifier, the one who brings unity. And then finally, we're going to see in the last about three verses of our text this morning, God's purpose in bringing Gentiles like you and I into the family of God. Well, first this morning, we see that Paul references the former state of uh, a former state of being of, of the Ephesians. Look at verse 11. He said, so then remember. Uh, we, we've talked about gratitude today in our Sunday school lesson and how it's important to remember how the Feast of the Old Testament's brought that out and how uh, sometimes if we don't remember, we're not going to have a, a heart of thanks. And so very specifically here, Paul is calling these Ephesians to remember the time when they were excluded. Notice what it said. At one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, speaking of physical being there. You were called the uncircumcised. You probably see in your translation quotes around that. In other words, that was a label they were given, and it was a derogatory label, and it was given by those who called themselves or were called, also in quotes, the circumcised. But Paul qualifies that by saying, done by human hands. And so what he is saying here, he's calling them to remember the time before they had come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And at such a time, they were ostracized by those who have faith in the Lord. People who were ignorant, who did not understand the heart of God. They were excluded from the Jews. They were called the uncircumcised. They, they were worse than a child in a middle school dance who's standing on the sideline left out. These individuals were not involved. They were not included. But I like what verse 12 says. He lists their non-distinct standing. Lest they be prideful, he reminded them from which they've come. And, and the same can happen in our lives as believers. We can begin to be deceived and think that we stand on what we do. Our standing is on Christ and his grace to us. And so he reminds them that of four things. They were without hope, he says, in verse 12, near the end of that verse. In other words, as we saw earlier in verse 1, they were dead spiritually. There was nothing they could do for themselves. They were totally dependent on the grace of God. Then he goes on to say, you were excluded from the citizenship of Israel. In other words, they were ignorant of, they did not have the law. They could not claim the physical lineage of the patriarchs. They could not 
claim the ordinances. They had none of that. And then he goes on in the same verse, in verse 12, he says, and you were foreigners of the covenants of promise, not just the single covenant. We know the covenant to Abraham, that initial one that was given, but also uh, we see the covenant that was given uh, to Isaac, that was given to Jacob. And then as we celebrate the first advent, the promise that was given uh, to David in 2 Samuel 7, 16, that he would forever have one of his line, that being Jesus, who would be ruler. Really, the, the, the Gentiles, they were ignorant of that. They couldn't claim any of the physical blessings. They didn't have the advantage of being trained in the Shema and all of that that the Jews had. But worse than anything, they were without God, without the Christ, he says in verse 12, the root of all. So simply put, Paul is saying, remember, in your former way of life, you did not know a God. You were not considered to be of God without hope, excluded. Such is the case today for a person who has never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice I'm not speaking of religion here. I'm not speaking of uh, family descent. I'm speaking of the relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have not come to know Christ, you've not been brought into the unity of the body of Christ. You've not been forgiven of your sins. The most important thing you could do this holy season is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, what Paul was saying to the church here is formerly you were without hope but without God, but now by the grace of God, God loved you. And you're included in the family of God. And that leads to verses 13 through 19. Paul points to Jesus Christ as the great unifier. Look at what he uh, says there in verse 13. He says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of God. Now, that's an adversative there. That word but means you were going in one direction but God acted. We've already seen that last week in verse 4 when he talked about how you were dead in your sins, but God, who is rich in his mercy, forgave you. And so we see again that change. And that change is when one goes from heading in his or her own direction and no acknowledgement of God, no grasping or claim to God, responding to the grace of God and believing. And so Paul writes here, but now. But notice what he says, but now you who were far away. The Gentiles were considered to be far away from God. They were considered to be ungodly. But you have brought, been brought near by the blood of Christ. Now for the Jews, circumcision, the cutting of the foreskin of the male, was a significant sign of the covenant. But it was a picture of a greater cutting, which would be Jesus Christ giving his life at Calvary. And when he came, he brought a new covenant in his blood, and he broke down the walls of his hostility and division between all that was among all people. The blood of bulls and goats, the blood that would be carried out in the, in the circumcision, could not make one right with God only Jesus can do that. And that's what he says in verse 14. For he is our peace. You know, there are two aspects of peace. There's the subjective aspect of it. 
And for you, that might have been after you filled your belly with stuffing and pumpkin pie and turkey, you sat back in your chair and you fell asleep because you were perfectly in a subjective state of peace. But that's not what he's speaking about here. He's speaking about objective peace. That is right standing. Formerly, those who had not believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, not only were they ignorant, but they were set against him. And through Christ, who is our peace, we're brought to God. That, that picture we see in Matthew 27 in verse 51, when Jesus died on the cross, you, you know that vivid picture of the holiest of holies, the place that led directly in to the worship and the presence of God was torn from top to bottom. But Paul makes it clear, it's not only peace with God that came through, but peace among the peoples. Notice what it, it says. He tore down the end of verse 14, the dividing wall of hostility. Now we know in the temple area, the broad temple area, there were various courts in various places. You could only go if you were certain people to a certain place. There was a court of the Gentiles. The Gentiles, they could go into the temple broad area, but they had to stay within the court of the Gentiles. If they stepped beyond that into a closer place, then there would be repercussions. But we know not only was there that physical division in the holy city, but there was a divide that was beyond that. Gentiles were excluded. They were considered to be from the other side of the tracks, unrighteous, not worthy of the standing with God that the Jews possessed. And so Jesus came, though, not just to bring peace with God, but he came to break that wall of division that existed from the Jews who thought they had an exclusive claim on the Lord to the Gentiles. God has a heart for the nations. God desires to see all peoples be saved. Psalm 96.3, declare his glory among the nations, his wonderful works among the people. Psalm 86.9, all the nations you have made will come and bow down before you and will honor your name. Have you ever thought about in this holy season, Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 and 3? In speaking to Israel, uh, it is said, Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of your, the Lord shines over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your glory. In other words, God is an inclusive God. He's exclusive. It is only through faith in Christ, but anyone who will may be saved. And the intent of God with the nation of Israel was not that the gospel stop with them, but work through them. They were to be a light to the nations. We've talked about this before, but I think it's important to remember again. I believe it was in Mark chapter 7. And you remember the Syrophoenician woman came to Jesus and it said she was a Gentile. And she said to Jesus, Lord, just free my child up from this oppressive spirit. And remember what Jesus said. Should I give... To the dogs what is intended for the children. Now, people today in our culture will immediately say, Jesus did wrong, but they don't understand what Jesus was saying. He was not belittling the lady, but he was leading her into faith. And she said, well, yes, even the dogs have crumbs. Now, follow this. 
He wasn't calling her a dog. He was speaking about the order the gospel was coming. The children would be the Jews. The Jews would come first, and then it would go to the Gentiles after that. There's an order. Just like if I want to go home today, I take a first step. There'll be other steps that follow. The gospel was to come to the Jews, but it was to go to the nations. It was to come to the Jews first, though. Now, now some of you, you don't have that right. I know you let the dog eat first and sitting at the table, but I know it's a generalization. But usually the dogs, they get it, but there's an order to it. First the humans and then the dogs. But this woman said, even the dogs get the crumbs. And he said, I haven't found such faith in Israel. He commended her. And so we see here that Jesus is the unifier of all. Jesus, a Jew, came and he died for the world. And that leads us to verse 15, one of the most difficult verses really to understand the whole text. Because he says there, Jesus made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations so that he might create himself in himself one body. Now Jesus said he came not to abolish the law but to fulfill the law. Is Paul conflicting in what he's saying here? He's not. Notice what he says. He made of no effect the law consisting of commands and regulations. He qualifies it there. All of the external. Really, he speaks of the ceremonial law. The ceremonial law, we're not talking about the moral law. The moral law is timeless. It is for all time. It is never right, for instance, to steal or to commit uh, murder. Those are timeless. That's the moral law. But the ceremonial law, Jesus fulfilled. The Passover feast, Jesus is our Passover. All of the feasts, uh, Jesus himself uh, did not abolish those. He fulfilled them. Jesus declared all foods clean because he made it clear that it's not what goes into a person that defiles that individual, but it's what comes out. And so what was happening was this. The ceremonial law was dividing Jews and the Gentiles. And Jesus came to fulfill that, to break down that wall of hostility that people through faith could be right with God and right with each other. Someone shared with me this week out of Romans 8, 3, what the law could not do since it was limited by the flesh, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son as a sin offering. What the law could not do. The Jews uh, that, that did not know Christ, they thought that would make them right. The law couldn't do it. Jesus came, he fulfilled the law, and he died for us. Simply put, Jesus is the unifier. He breaks down the divide that our sin brings before God the Father, and he breaks down the divide among people. Look at what it says in Verse 16, he did this, in other words, so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by which he put the hostility to death. He came, verse 17, proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. How does the Gentile get right standing with God? By believing on Jesus. How does the Jew who is considered to be near to God, who has the commands, how is he or she made right? By believing on Jesus. There's only one way. I have in my pocket uh, 
keys. There are 10 keys in my pocket. And if you're like I am, a lot of times when you head out at night, you forget to leave the lamppost on or the light on. And you're scrambling, trying to find that right key. The problem with me, usually it's the third or fourth key, sometimes even more before I find the right key. If I try the wrong key in that lock, it may not go in. If it goes in, it will not turn. There's only one key. Listen, there's only one answer to eternal life. There's only one answer to world peace. There's only one answer, and his name is Jesus Christ. One day, every one of us will stand before God to give account of his or her life before a holy God. And God will ask, why should I allow you into my heaven? And the key that fits the answer is Jesus Christ. Are you trusting in him today? Have you believed on him? He brings us to the Father. He unites the body as one under his lordship. You need to trust him today. And that leads to verses 20 through 23, God's purpose in uniting both Jew and Gentile. And his purpose, very simply, is this, that we be a holy habitation. That we be a holy habitation. Listen, there are lots of things we can and should desire to do. But being is more important than doing. I don't know about you. I forget that sometimes. Uh, I, I, ministry, uh, I read, I think T. Austin Sparks said, is the outworking of the indwelling spirit. It's not just something that I do outside of me, but it is to come from me. And so when God brought together Gentiles and Jews through Jesus Christ, the desire would be that it would be a testament, the body. There would be a holy habitation. Uh, in verse 19, he notes the Ephesians were no longer foreigners and strangers. Now that they were united, they needed to fulfill that purpose, set apart from idolatry, set apart from paganism unto God. And when God speaks of the building, and we think of a physical building, what do we see? Their various materials. Even the temple, you remember the temple, it was made up of great monoliths, very large stones, and very small pieces of wood. Various pieces coming together as one habitation for the Lord. And so it is with the church today. And that's what Paul is saying here. And, and let me tell you something. You share more in common with a church that speaks a different language halfway across the world than you share with many people that you intersect day after day. There's a bond. That bond is Jesus Christ. We're not talking about the physical edifice here. We're talking about the spiritual edifice. Through Scripture, the church is made up of all peoples for all nations. As Paul said earlier, we have been blessed beyond measure financially. And the responsibility of the church is to tithe what God has given. Now, I know we have ministries. I know we have building projects. But there are ministries that are carrying the gospel. I'm hoping next week to have a testimony of one person. It's a, just a two-minute testimony. Share what God is doing. We need to have a heart for the nations. Notice how the two are brought to one. Look at verse 20. Built, the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Now, when I think of the apostles, I think of the New Testament. When I think of the prophets, I think primarily the Old Testament. When I think of the apostles, I think of the church. When I think of the prophets, I think of Israel. 
And I know that may be a general statement, but I think what verse 20 is telling is us is this. All peoples brought together under the lordship of Jesus Christ. You know, as we enter this holy season, let's be mindful the gospel is for all peoples. Karen received a funny text from Aletheia, I think it was yesterday, of the wise men in a nativity scene. If you come to our house, we don't have the wise men there because they came to a house not that first night. They came a significant time later. And I'm not telling you if you see that display in a place, go and move them to another area. Uh, I'm not saying that. Because think of this. Jesus came for those who were near and far away. And even though those magi were not there that night, they received that star. Those who were far away were brought to Jesus. Those who were nearby, the shepherds who were nearby, keeping watch over their flocks by night, they were brought to Jesus, that unifying agent. I wonder today, have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you been brought in to the unifying faith in him? Well, what does it mean to not be a people and then by the grace of God to be brought into the people as Jesus has done and how that's to work out in our lives? I want to close with, with this illustration it's probably familiar. In Acts chapter 3, Peter and John were preparing to go to the temple for the time of prayer. And as they were making their way to the temple, there was an outsider, one not considered to be righteous. The, the scripture says that he was infirmed from the time of birth, and he was at the gate of beautiful. And he was asking and begging for money. And, and the two of them said, Look at us. And he thought that by looking at them, they would give him money. And you remember the famous saying, silver and gold have I none, but in the name of Jesus, arise and walk. And that's what happened. This man who was ignored, forgotten by people, considered uh, probably to come from sinful origins, who was left out, the scripture tells us that he got up, but he did not just get up. He went into the temple with Peter and John. The outsider became the insider. But it doesn't stop there. When the people looked and saw him, they recognized him, and they were filled with awe and astonishment at what had happened to him. He was a holy habitation, not part of the family of God, rejected of people, through the grace of God and the ministry of the apostles brought to faith in Christ and was a work of God for people to see. Is that the desire of your heart this season, that you would be a holy habitation for the Lord? I don't know about you. I fall short way too many times in this. God's Spirit has convicted me. But the desire of our heart should be, Lord, may people see you in me. We're dependent on the grace of God. But let us not make the mistake of those who were Jews of physical lineage only in, in this sin of exclusivity. But let us say, God, make me a holy habitation that people would know you. Let's pray. Father, as we look to your word today.
um, I pray that um, if there be any here today who have not really given their heart to you, that this day your spirit would convict them of how much you love them and how you desire for them to be a holy habitation for you. And Father, for those who have trusted Christ, it may be some of us here today who would be honest, Lord, we have believed on you, but Lord, there's too much of us and not enough of you. I pray during this holy season that we would be a light, that people would come to know you. And I pray for our church that we would have a heart for our community and for the nations. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.